Welcome everyone, we are about to begin Messes Hashem Feedbacks and Insights number 45. This is going to be a continuation from the last feedback of 44 of a lecture that a social worker, Moshe Zev Lam, said to a group of Kailal Yingalite uh, uh, from the Kailal of Yitzchak Berkowitz. Fabulous stuff. I never met him, but highly recommend him because he he talks real, real Yisaitistic concepts. Please listen to the previous feedback for the first part of his Yisaitist that he said, and I want to share now um, the remaining of it. And um, we're up to the point where he talks about the differences between men and women that will help us understand our marriages. And um, one of the differences um, is that the men work and process things with their mind and the women process things with their speech. So example, and it could sometimes be reverse, talking about most men, most women. So an example he gave, which is an excellent example, but it could go in many, many different scenarios uh, where the basically the man is, thinks things through and he needs the quiet. His mind processes it. He comes up with an end result about something. And when he says something, that's the bottom line. That's the result of what he his thought process was. While the women need to think it through. And they talk through the process as they're doing it. So, for example, a woman, the husband, wife may tell the husband, you know, that couch, uh, maybe we should put the couch on this side of the room. And and we should put the amor on this side of the room, and the and the husband says, "Yeah, okay." And that's it. And he thought it already through in his mind, and it makes sense. And he says, "Fine." And then the wife says, "Well, you know something? Maybe I should put the furniture not there. Maybe over there, and the amor over there." And the husband's thinking, "We just talked about it. We just decided." You know, and um, the women need to understand this too, that when the man says something, um, it's not the first serve, the first attempt in the process. It's the last serve. He already went through the process. When he says something, it's already a done deal. He made up the mind, basically, with all the calculations back and forth in his mind, and this is the conclusion he came up with. The women need to realize that, but the men need to realize that for the women, when they first say the, the couch should be here and this should be there, they're starting the process of figuring things out. So this could be humorous, but it's very, very true. And if, uh, for example, a man understands when he, he's listening to his wife as she's going back and forth, maybe we should do this, but maybe we should do that, that he has to realize that what she's doing is she's processing her thoughts through speech and give her the time to listen and understand that. The man, in his mind, I already, you know, what's, you know, it's a done deal. So that's a big difference that once they're aware of that difference, it could help in amazing ways. And then he talked about the fact, we talk about needs, and he's told, he talks about two basic needs, which I'm going to explain what he said. But first, he talks about why do we need needs? What is this needs business about? 
And he said, Moshe Zev Lam, that every, almost every lecture he gives, especially in the from community, they ask this question. He says a thousand times, I need, uh, you have to fill their needs. I have my needs. I have my needs, 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 needs. But what about Bittel? What about being Mavater? What about being a Noisin? What about going beyond the ego? For Yavoy Hashem. And so what's the selfish thing about needs, needs, needs? The bottom line, though, we all have needs. And maybe we should be on a higher Madrega. Maybe we should. You know, and maybe some of these needs are too much. They don't need to have, we don't need to have all these needs. But the bottom line is, is this is the reality. We have it. We need it. And, and in marriage, you deal with what is, not what should be. He gives an excellent muscle. He says, for example, if you are supposed to go to a destination that you're not right now at a very high cliff and you need to get to the other side uh, of the canyon, the other the other side. Now, he's, they hit, hit the point of the cliff and there is a deep canyon with a raging river underneath, you know, a thousand feet gap to get to the next uh, area where he needs to go. And the map said there was supposed to be a bridge there. And everyone told him there's going to be a bridge there. There should be a bridge there that could take uh, him from the top of the cliff here to the top of the cliff a thousand feet beyond the canyon through this bridge. But the bridge isn't there. There was supposed to be a bridge there, but the bridge isn't there. So, of course, if he says, I don't care, I got to get to my destination, and he tries to walk through the ear, he'll fall down and you know what's going to happen to him. He can't say just because the bridge isn't there, I'm going to walk through. He can't do that. Same thing with a marriage. You have to be realistic about it. Yes, you want to build the bridge. You can build it individually. You can build it together and talk through it. But the reality of it is that we all have needs and we have to learn how to fill each other's needs in a healthy way. And then here is a basic concept that is very deep, but very powerful, that explains marriage very well. And he talks about these, there are two basic needs, emotional drives that are there in a human being. The first one is to be connected. People don't like to be alone. They need to be connected with other people. They need to be connected with a community. That is one very important need. The second need is somewhat the opposite, is to be me. What does it mean to be me? To be authentic, to self-actualize, to be content with myself. And um, those are two real deep needs in a human being. And very often they fight with one another. Because in sometimes in order to connect with other human beings or with a kahila or with a group, you give up some of your authenticity in order to connect. Um, and so, and in order to be authentic, sometimes you have to give up some connections, because people conform in order to make connections, and you sometimes give up some of your authenticity when you 
make those connections. So example he gave, which is a very nice example, he talked about himself, he was wearing a white shirt, and conservative looking, that he, you know, by, by the way he looks, he could go to, you know, be accepted in any yeshiva, whatever it is, but if, let's say, his real self is to wear colored shirts and shorts and everything, so he'll be more authentic, but he'll lose in that connection of the community because it's not accepted. So there's always a, a um, competing um, force between being authentic, but at the same time being connected. But, and here's the big but that he says, that's a big aside, that even though these two needs fight each other, you, they feed off each other too, and they need each other as well. And the example he gave this uh, on this was based on something in attachment sh- uh, a theory with a child. What happens very often if you're a child, a two-year-old, a three-year-old, a four-year-old, what very often happens is that a child looks around and sees his mother. So the child feels connected to his mother. And then after he sees, oh, my mother's here connected, then he becomes a wise guy, this two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old, and runs away. Runs away, runs here, runs there. Why? sees the mother, and then does this because has the connection. My mother's around, and now I'm going to fly away. But when, let's say, after a while, the two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old looks around, where's my mother? The first instinct that this child will do is run and look for the mother. And then find her. Once he finds her again, oh, now I could run away again. So it's fascinating because it's two opposite things where one is in conflict with the other because in order to be authentic, you lose some of the connection and in order to be connected, you lose some of your authenticity. But the opposite concept is also true is that you need that connection in order to bring out your most authentic self and you need to bring out your most authentic self in order to be connected in a real way. And in marriage, and they feed off each other, and in a marriage, it's more, most important because here is where the connection and authenticity plays a big dance and is the most conflict where, where it is. Because basically in a marriage, a marriage challenges your authenticity the most. Why? Because you are an individual with a specific type of personality and your spouse is totally different and 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 very often and this is the crux of almost every single marriage fight if you look to the depths of it the real reason why there's so many marriage fights is because your authenticity has been challenged there has been challenged. I'm me, and you're going into that space of what the real me is. But paradoxically, you need that connection, and you need to connect with your authentic self. And so, so, so it does challenge your authenticity. Marriage, it does. But at the same time, that's where you find your real self when you learn to connect in that deep way. So he talks about it. It's very interesting that authentic, being your authentic self means that you are, uh, you have a certain 
unique specialness about you that your husband or wife may not understand at all. It may not make sense to to them. But in a good marriage, you learn to be curious about it. That to, to be curious about a personality that's different from you. And is there space? Am I allowing space for that? Even though it may not make perfect sense to me or no sense to me. Is it safe to express my authenticity in this relationship? And a good marriages create that environment that they can be allow each other to be as authentic as possible. And he said, Moshe Zevlam, in this year, a very poignant story that he had a Hasidic man come to him privately in therapy, literally crying, saying that since he was 10 years old, he always wanted to be in the Marines, and he was crying about it. Now, does it make logical sense? He was a Hasid with a wife and mishpacha. He would never be a Marine. He knows that. Everyone knows that. He knows that. It's not logical. There is an emotional deep need that makes sense to him, but it won't make sense to practically anyone else. And basically, the guy, he said, I can't even tell this to my wife. She'll laugh me out. She'll think I'm crazy. You know, it's not like he wanted to actually be pale, become a Marine and, or change his lifestyle. No, but he wanted to work through those emotions. So he knew his wife wouldn't understand anything like this. So he went to a therapist that could under, that, that, that he could express his authentic self. But the question is, again, that is the idea. How much do you allow in marriage for your husband or wife's authentic self to come out? We're not talking about negativity here. Of course, negative this we have to work against. But just the fact that they're different from you and you're different from them. And to allow that, to create an environment of acceptance, where when we do connect, we're connecting with our authentic, real selves. And that's another basic aside that he said that was very powerful, I felt, very important. And then he went through another interesting aside, Benegea, what people view as romantic love. And this has really been an issue in our generation, that romantic love, whatever that means, obviously it's some type of feeling, he explains, that is so powerful inside, it's hard to explain what it is, but it's the feeling of being swept off your feet, seeing stars, that like, like a real powerful, fiery, uh, you know, connection emotionally and feeling that emotion. And what's very important to know, and he brings from two psychologists, secular psychologists, we know it from Tyra, but he quotes secular psychologists, one named Robert Johnson in the book called We, another one, Esther Perel, in a book about fears, whatever it is, but two separate psychologists talked about how romantic love is a phenomenon of the Western culture, and it just started pretty much a hundred years ago or so, is when it first started, which means not just in the Jewish culture. Like, you know, people say that, you know, in the Shtetlach, marriages were very uh, down-to-earth, practical, they didn't have this romance stuff. No, not just in the Shtetlach, in all the world, 
it wasn't like that. Romantic love was a new creation to make that as a mainstay in a relationship, a mainstay in in our culture, where he read an article that a couple split. They had a good marriage, but they split because they didn't feel that romantic connection. And they felt, in this article they wrote, romantic attachment is essential to a functional marriage. That's false, but they believed it. And um, it's the only way a marriage could be healthy. Again, false, but they believed it. And that's a main purpose of life. Also false, but they believed it. And what happened was, this Robert Johnson wrote, that this um, romantic love has supplanted religion as a mass phenomenon peculiar to the West. And and also it's written that, uh, you know, spiritual and relational is, is viewed now as if it's one, when in reality it's not. And um, you expect one person to provide for you what in the olden days a village would need to provide, which means you expect one human being to fill you up completely with all your needs. These are very unrealistic notions. It's powerful. All the Hollywood movies is based on this. Our culture is based on this. And But the issue, but it's very important to know, you know, that most marriages are not like this. And it's very unrealistic. If it happens, it's wonderful, you know, but it's not, it is not, it is not a yisoid in marriage. And that's very counterintuitive to a lot of people that hear it or that we're so steeped in our culture. But it's not the case. And he ended off saying this. And just think about this for a moment. Because a lot of people, I believe, get, because they read books and hear it in the movies, or think that they see other couples that have this fiery, loving, like seeing stars connection, and they're jealous of it, or feel lacking because of it. So he ended off the lecture, and I just want to leave this with you too. And again, I recommend, I'm just a malakit, so if you have time, listen to it directly. I highly recommend him. He seems to be very wise. Moshe Zev Lam. Never met him, don't know him, uh, but I, I believe he's very, very wise in how he expresses himself, and I'm sure he's a very good therapist. But anyway, he says, imagine a marriage that does not have this, what we call romantic love, but it, but has all these other things. And by the way, all these other things are indeed key to marriage. Number one, safety. Stability companionship, friendship, caring for somebody else, being cared for by somebody else, receiving emotional support, giving emotional support to another, knowing that I'm priority to somebody else, that someone else is thinking about me, that I'm thinking about them, that we share our challenges, that we raise a family together, that we together instill values in our home and to our children and in our environment, and we do that together. 
It's something, someone we can cry to, a shoulder to cry on, that I could be a shoulder that someone could cry on my shoulder and to laugh with and to share life with. All of these things that we just explained is not romantic love. And so again, you know, I, by nature, I admit it. Uh, I got thrown in, you know, a little bit because of my environment, this and that. I was exposed to things that find that notion appealing. I'm sure a lot of people do. But it's a big mistake. Yes, marriage has to have a warmth and emotional connection and good midas and all that. But this um, romantic love, seeing sparks and uh, uh, having that emotional high, like a drug type high or, or like, you know, Call, you know, after you had your caffeine or whatever it is, or uh, you had that type of surgery where they shoot you up with stuff that makes you feel like you're on cloud nine. That's not what marriage is about. And it's a Western phenomenon. In the East, you don't really have that even today. But it took over our world with a lot of negative results and unrealistic um, uh, um unrealistic expectations when you try to get married and also unrealistic expectations after you get married. And it's very important to remove those unhealthy notions from us and to develop all those real aspects of marriage that are so important. Like basically the list that we did, that we talked about here. So again, highly recommend you listen directly to him. Moshe Zevlam is his name. And this particular, the last two feedbacks, took from Shiurim that he gave. Uh, it's posted in Torah Anytime, and it's also posted in Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson's uh, website, the yeshiva.net. And it's a lecture he gave to Kailul Yungalite in the Kailul of Rav Yitzchak Berkowitz. Have a wonderful day.